Because if you don't really know what your purpose is, it's really hard to know what opportunities to say yes to. Welcome back to the Faculty Factory Podcast, friends. It's Kim Skorupski here at Hopkins, and I'm really pleased to introduce you to a new guest on the Faculty Factory, Dr. Rocky Bayani. Rocky, how are you? I'm great this morning, Kim. Thanks so much for having me here today. Well, Dr. Bayani, will you please tell everybody who you are at uh, WashU and what you do there? So I am a part-time academic internist. Um, I spend all of my clinical time precepting residents in their primary care continuity clinic. And then uh, a couple of other roles that I sort of um, am involved in is the uh, resident wellness initiative. And then I also run a uh, professional development initiative for our women trainees in the Department of Medicine called the Forum for Women in Medicine. Wow. And can you tell us a little bit about your your journey? How did you get to these leadership roles? Before we, I know you have some really cool lessons that teach us about the, the forum for women, but a lot of times we get early career faculty members, especially who are new into academic medicine, and they are like, well, how do I become a leader? I mean, are these like jobs that are just posted and I have to keep looking for them? Or do I tell people? Or I don't even know like what I can do. I'll have people tell me, ask me in Hopkins, Hey, Kim, you know, I'm looking to cover 10% of my salary. Is there anything you guys have that in the Office of Faculty Development that I can do? <laughs> it's kind of a, I get it, the question, but I'm also kind of like, <laughs> anything you can do, we mean like file? I mean, what, what do you mean? <laughs> Tell me, what, you know, how, so how did you get, get here, Dr. Vayani? For many years when I started at WashU, um, I was, uh, and I still am part-time, but I was part-time and worked only with the residents in their clinic. And um, really loved it. I love all the energy of the residents. You know, it keeps you up to date. You know, I love being, you know, a lifelong learner as we all are. Um, and then, you know, I love the patient care part of it. So um, really, I was very satisfied in sort of doing that job and um, really enjoyed it. And then in 2014 is sort of where that pivot happened. Um, and it really started with our department chair having um, uh, the residents over to her house um, and just sort of had a conversation. Um, she invited all the women residents and some of the core faculty um, to her home and just asked about different people's experiences um, in residency and training um, and uh, just asked about what things they felt they needed to be successful as women in medicine. And um, after that um, event at her home, she invited a couple of us over uh, in a meeting and said, you know, I really want to start this um, sort of initiative. And at the time, it really was not well uh, thought out. It was just sort of an ask, like, can we just have three skill building workshops during the course of the year where we have um, speakers and sort of um, give some of the skills to our women trainees that they need to sort of navigate the workplace, to be successful and hopefully become leaders in their fields. Um, and so that's sort of how that started. And we planned a couple of events that first year. And then she asked if I would be willing to lead this initiative. Um, and, and so 
I was very, I'm sort of a cautious person, person in general. So I was very thoughtful about it. And when I, when she asked, I was like, well, let me think about this for a little bit. What does this actually mean? Um, and wanted to have a better idea of what her vision was of it. And basically she, um, she really gave me a lot of autonomy in this and sort of said, just see where this takes you. And, um, she was very supportive. Um, and, that was great because I didn't have to worry about trying to negotiate for a budget. She said, here's your budget for, you know, having these events. And what started out with um, just those three events grew into many workshops a year. We have, when we have visiting professors, we do these small luncheons with them. And so the residents get to not only hear about these amazing leaders outside of our institution and what the, the research and the work that they're doing, but then we have the women um, have these small uh, small sessions. So it's more uh, an intimate setting so they can hear about their journeys. So that's basically what we do during these lunches. It's not about their research, it's not about their work necessarily, but we ask them sort of, how did you get to where you are? Um, tell us about lessons learned, some challenges you faced and things like that. Um, and then we also have networking events too. So, so, so sort of, we, it's grown a lot in terms of the different things that we've we've done. Well, you said so much in there and people who listen to this podcast know that it's everything I've got actually got almost literally duct tape over my mouth because to keep myself from talking because I'm so, I get so excited by so much that you just said. And I just wanted to maybe highlight or amplify a couple important lessons that I'm, I'm trying to put myself in the shoes of the listener. One, you started off, you got an invitation to go to dinner to someone's home. So Wow, how nice. Back in the in the olden days when people actually went to people's homes and had <laughs> meals in their homes, that's good for Dr. Bayani, but how do I get an invitation to go to dinner? And then how do I get almost like the luxury of having someone say to me, hey, we have an idea. Would you like to do this? And then you being very thoughtful and strategic and thinking about this. And, oh, by the way, the budget is is limitless blank check. This sounds like wow. Well, that's that's kind of a no brainer. How fortunate for her. This you know, Rocky lives in a, a blessed world. Well, I, I'm sure that that's not the case. That a number of things happen to. I guess the way what I'm trying to say is that there's nothing that is just coincidental or by accident. If you were um, incompetent. Uh, a jerk. Nobody liked you. First of all, you wouldn't have been invited to dinner. And then if you didn't, were someone who did not take um, any kind of, um, it, take the um, energy or the uh, initiative to do things and then follow through with things, you certainly would have been invited to part, to be in this smaller planning meeting. And you wouldn't have been entrusted with this leadership role had you earned a reputation of being someone who drops a ball all the time. So I guess the the, I'm trying to preempt some of the thought out there going, well, yeah, that's easy. She almost, this was handed to her. So maybe you wanted to, I'll shut up for a minute and let you kind of comment on that kind of um, listening to someone out there going, oh, must be nice. Or what could you say to that person who's going, hmm? Yeah, I mean, you're right. I mean, I think um, in some ways, when I look back on it, it does feel like it sort of fell into my lap. But, uh, you know, I think, um, being someone who works well with the residents, you know, it during all those those many years of just uh, you know being in the clinic with them, being relatable to them, um, being someone who residents tend to feel comfortable going to for you know just 
asking questions or saying, gosh, I would really love to change this about the clinic or this, you know, those types of things and sort of being able to be someone who can be, can speak for them. I think that may have been one of the, you know, a small part of it. I don't want to say that's the only part of it, but that may be part of it. Um, you know, I worked very closely with the chief residents because they're also in clinic with us. So sort of, you know, when they have ideas, they would come to me about different things as well, uh, just because I'm, I happen to also be in clinic a lot <laughs> um, and, and those types of things. So I think sort of being able to say that I'm a, you know, a good listener, I'm really thoughtful about when I want to take action. So I, I'm not someone who tends to sort of jump into action right away. Um, so I, I do think about things strategically before I will either take it to the next level or to act on it. And I think sometimes that could be helpful when you're looking for someone to start something from scratch and build it because you want someone who's going to be strategic about uh, building it without with in order to have some longevity to it, right? So you don't want someone who's going to be like, oh yeah, I want to do this, 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 and this, and then they do it for one year and then they burn out because they haven't thought about how they're going to scale it and grow it and and really have something that's sustainable over a long period of time. That is so well said and really, really good points out there. I just wanted to make sure people understand that we can create opportunities deliberately. You know, like Rocky could have got in there and, and sat back and observed and said, I think you should have a dinner at your home, Kim. And I think you should invite a bunch of people. And I think you should, you could have been that deliberate about it, that we, when we as faculty members see need and see opportunity and see weaknesses, and we can also put our heads down, work every day to our best, confident that when we're doing what we love and what we've been trained to do and we show up every day, people see us and people see that our that is our character, that is who we are. And then that will be, at some point, will be recognized. And I want to talk about the whole, oh, uh, What's her name? Cheryl Sandberg talks about, is it the halo effect? No, she calls it the tiara effect, where sometimes oh. the negative of the tiara effect that people think, well, you know, if we just keep my head down, I'll be at notice Sunday. I'm not saying that, you know, that extreme, but the idea I'm trying to get across here is that just what you did, Dr. Bayani, is that showing up, earning a reputation as being reliable, consistent, knowledgeable, empathetic, thoughtful, that will be noticed. Then when people say we need people to do something, you're on the short list. So I, I, I think the lessons that I want people to take home from here are many. And I just love it. And I can't wait to get into the, the, you said, I think three lessons that you wanted to share with the group and I'm going to be quiet again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, you know, as I was thinking about my journey, I mean, I feel like one of the first lessons that I was sort of looking back on it, that I was, that I took took away from this is sort of that, you know, that we all have this sort of fear of failure. And I think that can really lead to a lot of opportunities. Um, because if you let that fear overtake you, you're not going to make that leap and sort of get out of your comfort zone. Um, and so one of the big things when I think about this, or when people ask me about this, is that I really was thoughtful about what resources I needed to, in order to succeed, because I think that can be really difficult too. Um, cause oftentimes people are given a position, um, and given a task, but then they're not necessarily given all of the resources in order to help them be successful. And that can be, um, and then when, when it is not successful, you know, typically what happens is that the person who's in charge of that 
initiative task or whatever is the one who said, well, how come this didn't, didn't succeed? Where it's really sometimes you have to make sure that you have those other resources around you. And so I think for me, you know, I, I was very thoughtful about what I needed to succeed and really tried to, to advocate for those resources. And luckily, I, I didn't have a hard road to travel because I had a lot of support from above. So that was, you know, unique in in, in my situation. Mm-hmm. But I think um, the couple of things that I did was I, I tried to embrace the unknown. So even though I was thoughtful, I still tried to get out of my comfort zone to say, okay, well, I don't know exactly what this is going to entail, but I'm going to try to embrace it and, and, and really see what I could do with it. Um, reframe those stretch projects as opportunities to so sort of trying to think about, um, yeah, this is not, I don't know if I have all the skill sets in order to, to take this on, but let me see if I could use this as an opportunity for growth as a way to sort of grow who I am, what I'm doing. Um, and maybe that could lead to other things as well. Reframe the stretch opportunities. I just would love for you to talk a little bit more about that because my mind uh, went in about three different directions when you said that. <laughs> it was so intriguing to me. I'm thinking that I'm putting myself in the shoes of someone saying, hey, Kim, we need someone to do ABC. You know, we think you'd be the great, a good, good person to do that. And I go home and I think, all right, ABC, ABC, you know, what is that? Could I, do you mean like ABCD or do you mean not ABC, but rather B prime C and J or maybe not me, but somebody else? Like, what do you mean? Can you explain a little bit more about reframing and how that looked for you? Yeah. So, you know, the way I think about it is when, when I was first approached to do this, the first thing that I came to my mind is, oh my goodness, what are, because I'm very like list oriented. I'm very like, okay, what are the procedures that I need to sort of do to succeed? And so the, my first thing was like, oh my goodness, there's all of these things um, that came into my mind. I don't know if I can do this. This seems a little bit scary. This is unknown. This doesn't feel, and I was already in my comfort zone and very happy with what I was doing. So it wasn't like I was necessarily out there looking for something different to do. Um, and so when I say reframing um, and really looking at those different things that come up as opportunities is just to say, when those things come to you, to think about what that means and how this could be an opportunity for you, not as like, oh my goodness, this is a scary thing that's coming, that's fell into my lap. And really thinking about it as more of an opportunity to grow. And I think that's where, you know, when you when you go a little bit out of your comfort zone, that's where the growth happens, right? So if you sort of stay on this path, it, it can be still fulfilling, but sometimes you need that one little push. You need someone who believes in you, who's str- who pushes you a little bit out of your comfort zone, and that's where the growth happens. I love that. And and what I love about that is I'm picturing myself when a couple of those things in my life that you talked about, like your pivot, you mentioned that 2014 was your pivot. Is that, yeah, when you do feel like, well, I'm in my groove, I'm in my sweet spot, I know what I'm doing, why would I want to risk? I've, I've, I've worked so hard to build a reputation of someone who gets things done and can be counted on to like knock it out of the park. Why do I want to put my toe over there and risk getting, you know, um, smacked in the face by saying, aha, she finally found something she couldn't do. But there is that curiosity of hmm, how much can I stretch? And Maybe not only like, could I maybe talk myself into it, but I'm envisioning that our mentoring team, our tribe of people 
would be the ones who I'd be like, all right, need a powwow time. We need, we need, we need a happy hour time. We need, you know, whatever, the walking group time. We're all going to get together. Here's what I've been asked to do. Let me tell you the reasons why I don't want to do it, why I think I can't do it. And here's some reasons why I can do it. And then I'm like, okay, now you, you, y'all go. And they'd be like, all right, Kim, first of all, you're being ridiculous, blah, blah, blah. Now that's, you're, I don't know where you're coming up with that. Or no, I totally agree with you. Have you even thought about do, 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 you know? So I, I think that sometimes asking our mentors and our coaches and our friends, and our colleagues and our friends, our family and the people who love and know us, you know, what are your thoughts on this? And just let them say, yeah, they can sometimes identify our, not only our strengths that we've not quite yet tapped into, but some of our blind spots and weaknesses. You know, I can envision my best friend going, are you kidding me? You just got done whining last night about how overcommitted you are and you're excited about this new thing. What is wrong with you? You know, so I can see those conversations. Yeah. I mean, I think that's really important. I think, you know, one of the most important things I think to my success has really been able to curate that network for support. So you have people that um, maybe are outside of your division, outside of your department, um, who have like a different way of looking at things from an outside perspective. Um, you also have people that know sort of the inner workings of your division and your department and the people you're working with. So they can give you valuable information, maybe on how to better um you know, negotiate for something that you want um, or who that you could reach out to that is either doing something similar to what you're doing, um, you know, at another institution or, you know, so they, they I, I feel like that can be very helpful in terms of this taking those opportunities and really, you know, stretching outside of their comfort zone. Because if you have that network of support, they can help you identify, um, you know, like you said, your strengths, where your where are your um, gaps that maybe you need some some other outside support and maybe some you know just some mentoring on how to do X Y and Z for whatever that project is going to and then it's not oh, it doesn't feel like it's a huge lift that's all on you now you've got a team right. you got team Bayani it's it's team us and now it's like we all win and people are more invested when it's it's a collective and you recognize that everybody, this all this interdisciplinary and diverse experiences is going to make this better. You know, it's like getting feedback on a grant. Why wouldn't you want as many people as you could to read it just to give you feedback? You're going to learn something. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, I, I think that those are really important. So I feel like, you know, the, the lesson learned was, you know, don't let that fear of failure overtake you. Uh, be thoughtful about the opportunities that you take on. But, you know, if you let that fear of fear of failure overtake you, you will lose out on a lot of opportunities that, that could be beneficial for you and, and fulfilling. Right. Very good. Love it. So the next sort of lesson that I, uh, that I sort of took away um, over the years is this sort of, you know, negativity bias. I feel like, you know, there's a lot of research that shows that we tend to focus on the one or two uh, negative things and sort of tend that tend to overshadow those like 10 other positive things we hear. <laughs> yeah. And that can be about anything about, about your feedback on you feedback on when I think about things uh, that I did with the forum for women in medicine, it could be feedback on our events that we have. Um, you know, oftentimes during our events and, you know, obviously when they were in person, we would have, you know, 30, 40 people together um, and we would get feedback. Uh, uh, we had feedback surveys after every event just to sort of get an idea of, you know, are we meet meeting the objectives? Are we, we 
doing what we need to do. And also I asking for help on um, what future programming people would want. And I would read these <laughs> feedback surveys and I'd have, you know, 38 of them positive. And then there would be two, one or two people who said something like, this wasn't great. I wish we had this, this, I wish we didn't have as many small group um, activities. And I kept thinking about those over and over again. I was like, well, maybe we should change this. Maybe we should change that. And then I'd go to my committee and they say, but what about all the, the 38 other people thought this was fine. Why do we, you know, so it was just, That's again, so true. We, that one negative comment can ruin our whole day. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. You could have all those people. Yay. 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 And you have the one little voice in the other room going, Ooh, Ooh. Right. <laughs> and so, you know, that, that can be sometimes hard to, I think, again, it comes out to with some of our perfectionist type of tendencies, right. Where we want to get that hundred percent. And when you don't have that, you think, oh goodness, I'm not doing everything I can. Um, and so, you know, again, having that team was helpful to sort of give that perspective, right. To say you have to, yes, it shouldn't mean that you totally negate the people that are, that, you know, give you that constructive criticism, but sort of have to look at it as a larger whole, right. like put, put it in perspective <laughs> right, right. and, and, you know, look at the feedback that you can. And, and again, use that as opportunities for growth and sort of you know, changing things when you feel like they weren't that change. Um, but really look at it in the full context of all the available data that you have. <laughs> um, and in that same vein, you know, someone had uh, many years ago told me to keep a feel good folder. And what that was is just like, you know, anytime you get any sort of like positive feedback or any kind of a positive email or, you know, like a little note card or anything, just sort of file it away in one space so that when you do have those moments where you're, I don't know, you have start, start doubting uh, things in life and sort of what your capabilities are, you can sort of open up those emails and sort of see that as just a way to sort of uh, pick me up, I guess, um, which I feel like is, I, I've started doing that and it's been really great. And I, now I tell everybody to, to do that as well. Love it. I love it. So, you know, trying to sort of, combat that negativity bias a little bit. Um, But, you know, the the last sort of, um, you know, uh, point that I wanted to make and, uh, you know, that I wanted to share was just really taking time to define your purpose, because I feel like that's a really um, important skill and important thing to do. Because if you don't really know what your purpose is, it's really hard to know what opportunities to say yes to. And you know, someone had told me a while ago that every time you say yes to one thing, you're saying no to something else because there's only so many hours in the day that you have. So every time you take something new on, that means you're going to, something, something has to give, right? You can't add more days, more hours to the day. So, so that, that you have to be really thoughtful about the opportunities that you take. Um, and I feel like as you go, as your career moves forward, you do have a lot of people that will start tapping you for different projects, different committees, different things to do. And um, really thinking about what your priorities are, what your goals are, I think is very helpful. Um, And doing that regularly, I think is very important too, because things can change over time, right? And so you don't want to say no to opportunities that you think may uh, better fit where you're going as, as you move forward. So I think it's really important to pause and reflect, which I feel like a lot of us don't have the time to do. <laughs> we don't take the time to do that because it's go, go, go. We have so many other things happening. 
Um, and so really thinking about how your goals align with your career and what your um, what your tasks are, I think is really important. So to have those guideposts to sort of help you out. And then really, you know, again, finding that meaning and purpose. Um, and it doesn't have to be everything in that in your job doesn't have to necessarily fulfill that purpose, right. but a small portion of it should, because I think that's where you get a lot of your meaning and in, in your work that you're doing. Yeah. Now this, I feel like I would love to talk about this for about four hours uh, a purpose, because this to me is fundamental. And I see this in the various seasons of our life, as you just pointed out, on one end, where my young niece, who is 19, and saying, I don't know what I want to do. I don't know where I want to go, what I want to be, kind of, you know, the pandemic messed up the last year of high school, and she's still at home. And how does one figure this out? And I'm thinking, well, back even in normal times, it's hard to figure out, layered on this complexity, what is my purpose? What is my meaning at age 19? Let's fast forward to late career faculty members who are fully, you know, tenured, have all the leadership titles and the accolades and the real heavy CVs, and they've been it all, been there, done there, done that. And they're thinking, well, what is my next chapter in life? What is, if I am not a fill in the blank, a neuroscientist, what am I? If I'm not doing surgeries, who am I? If I'm not a professor at Wash U or Hopkins, what am I? What is my purpose? What is my meaning? Why, why do I even exist? So when we look at the whole life continuum, we're like the basic <laughs> existential angst that we all have. Who, who am I? Why am I here? What words of wisdom can you share with people who are listening right now, who, again, may be very early career, late career? You said something. One good thing is you pause and reflect, take time. But how do, how do we help others and ourselves find our purpose and you also gave another hint that it, change, it may change over time. And what can you recommend for people to say, well, well, this is, first of all, nonsensical. Of course, I know my purpose. I mean, look at my CV. I was trained to do this. And then I write papers on that. This is my research area. This is my clinical practice area. This is my education expertise. I know it. But really, do we? I mean, how do we find all the rich little gems that are built into us and how do we discover purpose? How I know this is huge again, a four hour question, probably over drink sometime, but can you offer anything in addition to your wonderful suggestions of pausing and reflecting and taking time and appreciating that it's changes over the seasons of our lives? Yeah, I think it's, that's a really important, yeah, I agree. We could probably talk about this for a long time, (laughs) but you know, I think we go on this, I feel like we're on this ride, right? We're in, we're in high school, we go to college, we go to med school, we do residency. And if you do further training, we're just sort of, you go from one thing to the next without really, I mean, you think about it, but it, there's, it's sort of this, you just keep going. Right. Um, and then you're, then you start your job, whatever, wherever that is. And all of these things come at you and it could take you in these wildly different directions, right? Even as a physician or as a scientist or in in healthcare. And you sort of, you think of, I used to think that people just had this like straight path, like that they just go from one thing to the next, that's their ladder. They become dean of this school because they did this, they did that, they did this. And then you hear about their journeys and they have all these really interesting twists and turns. And I love hearing about it. And that's one, one of the reasons why I love when we have visiting professors and we hear about their journeys, because it, it, 
I just, I'm fascinated by everyone's journeys. But, um, and so what you hear a lot is that these things, uh, they, opportunities arise and they get, you know, some, it takes you in a different direction. And so that's, that, that's really interesting, but it's, you know, I think if you, in terms of trying to pause and reflect, I think the things that you have to really think about are, um, what do you love? Like, what are those things that you, parts of your job that you really love doing that sort of, you don't mind spending that extra time on? What are those things? And, you know, and what are you good at? So sort of, what are the things that, that, you know, people tell you that, you know, you're, you really excel in this, like you're a, you know, a people person, you are someone with great ideas. You're somebody who, um, takes ideas and, and really turns them into actions and, and really is able to, to follow through on that. Are you, you know, whatever that looks like in your career, are you a great communicator, teacher, those types of things. So I, I think looking at what you love to do, what you're good at, and trying to see how that can pair into something that is your passion. And um, really identifying that, I think, is very helpful. Um, because once you can identify some of those things, um, I think there was a research paper that I read a while back, and I can't remember who wrote it, but it was like basically saying that if 20% of your time is spent on things that bring you purpose, that is sort of like the 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 bare minimum kind of type of thing. So I, I feel like if we can find something that that we can that gives us purpose that we're doing in our career. So it's not 80% of what we're doing, but even 20%, that, that's enough to sustain us. And I feel like that's a really good goal to have. And so some of that is early career. I feel like there's it's hard to say no to opportunities when you're starting out because you don't really want to, you don't want to close doors, right? And, um, and I'm not saying you should say no to a lot of things, but what I'm saying is that just if you have an idea of what things bring you purpose, that'll help you one in trying to create a network to give you those opportunities and show you maybe a path to sort of getting those opportunities. Um, and two, when you have those opportunities come up, you can be a little bit more thoughtful about whether to say yes or no to those opportunities. Or if you say yes to something and suddenly you're in this, it can also help you step away from it um, rather than feel like you're stuck doing that for a long period of time. Well, gosh, Dr. Bayani. That 20% thing, I believe that's Tate Chanifelt's work on burnout. Uh, oh, okay. He was the one who talked about that um, spending. If you don't have that 20%, you're more likely to burn out. So you're exactly right. And what I like about your emphasizing this point is that we're not talking about the, the cult of um, the identity selfie economy that everything's got to be about. I have to be sunshine, lollipops and roses all the time. And, and I'm grumpy for this moment and life's not fair. No, we all realize that there are going to be parts of our jobs, every job that will be drudgery to us. That after we've done that thing a thousand times, we're over it. And yet that's part of the, that's the obligation. So being understanding that we're being practical, that there are um, parts of our lives that are just routine, mind-numbing tasks, but focusing on the that sweet spot. I think it was at 60 Mental talks about when we're in flow, when we're in flow, when you're doing something that time just slips from you and you get so en engrossed in the work that people are going, what are you, are you still here? It's been, that was three hours ago. You're like, oh my gosh, it's been three hours? What? 
that's a clue whether you're doing needlework or you're reading or you're writing or you're investigating data or you're playing with cell cultures. Oh, I must like this. This is where I'm in the group. I'm in the flow. Uh, I'm in the, in the groove here. So I like how you emphasize that focusing on, you know, what you love, what makes your heart, you know, kind of go pitter pat and what others say that you do great or what are you really great at it? And I'm going to say, emphasize one last quote that I like that you said, curating your network for support, curating a network for support. Very, very important. I love that. Your three lessons, the fear of failure, avoiding negativity bias, and 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 really um, identifying and taking time to remind ourselves of purpose. You know, what is your, what is our purpose? Great stuff. I'm going to leave you. Dr. Aki Bayani with a final thought because this has been great. And um, otherwise I feel, I fear I will keep you on and we will just talk and talk and talk and talk. So I'm going to let you close out this podcast episode. Uh, well, it was really great being here with you and sharing just some of the lessons I've learned. And, uh, you know, I, I love what I do. I feel like I, I, you know, I hate to use the word lucky, but I feel lucky in that I, a lot of what I do, I really enjoy. So, um, you know, that's my, that's my wish for everybody to be able to find a job that they have per- feel their purpose is 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 there and um, and center stage so that they can feel fulfilled in their in their life. Dr. Bayana, you have been a joy. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. And everybody, we'll see you next time on the podcast. Thanks for tuning in to Faculty Factory Podcast. The mission of the Faculty Factory is to build and support a community of leaders in faculty development who share tools, resources, wisdom, and encouragement in service to our faculty members, schools, and institutions. We encourage you to go to facultyfactory.org to find out more, get in touch with me, ask me any questions. Maybe you want to be interviewed on the podcast. Thanks for tuning in to Faculty Factory Podcast. We'll see you next time. The Faculty Factory podcast and website is sponsored by the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine Office of Faculty. For more information, visit facultyfactory.org.